ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਫਤਿਹ ਸਰ ਬਿਫੋਰ ਗੇਟਿੰਗ ਇਨਟੂ ਦਾ ਜਸਟ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਮੈਟਰ ਹੀਅਰਸ ਅ ਲਿਟਲ ਸਟੋਰੀ ਆਈ ਵਾਂਟ ਟੂ ਰਿਲੇਟ ਟੂ ਯੂ ਐਂਡ ਇਟ ਸਟਾਰਟਸ ਇਨ ਦਾ ਲੇਟ 60s ਵੈਨ ਫ੍ਰੈਂਚ ਇੰਡੋ ਚਾਈਨਾ ਐਂਡ ਦਾ ਫੋਰਨ ਫ੍ਰੈਂਚ ਕਲੋਨੀਅਲ ਐਂਪਾਇਰ ਯੂ ਕੈਨ ਸੇ ਇਜ਼ ਫੋਲਡਿੰਗ ਇਨ ਆਨ ਇਟਸੈਲਫ ਸੋ ਵੈਨ ਇਟਸ ਦਾ ਡਸਕ ਆਫ ਯੂ ਨੋ pre-World War II France. Now, you've heard of De Gaulle? Charles de Gaulle, yeah. Yep. So, what happens is that Algiers, which is a French colony, is taken over by Francophile loyalists who overthrow its government in a coup and decide that, you know, Algiers will never be allowed to secede from France it will never be allowed to separate itself it will always remain a part of France because the Algerians are fighting for their independence from the French empire anyhow because the coup originates because the coup actually originates from within the military the soldiers who implement a military junta what they feel is that de Gaulle will spot them because he's also a military man and now you need to understand de gaulle is a multifaceted personality he's actually studied you know what's been going on i mean come on this is the guy who's actually the face of the french resistance during world war 2 and uh, as we all know eisenhower was never a combat general that was patton but de gaulle even had you know eisenhower blowing steam out of his ears which was pretty you know hard for many people to imagine at the time who knew eisenhower because he was so cool and calm headed anyhow what de gaulle does is he goes to the french parliament and they discuss the situation and de gaulle decides that he's going to go to algiers and he's going to address the people directly now obviously the french cabinet at the time have this concern that maybe he's trying to assert their authority and they would i mean even you can appreciate that you know when politicians are confronted by a military leader of such significant merit they're always going to feel jealous santé of course yep and what happens is that de gaulle finally decides to go to algiers he uh, lands in the morning i believe touches down and then in the evening the residence where he's staying he comes out on you know a balcony a terrace uh, depends on whose description you read and he addresses the crowd of you know loyalists and military soldiers and officers and generals who believe he's on their side and basically what he says is a few short vague statements but it's enough to incite the crowd into a frenzy of passion believing that he supports them and he says i have understood you i have understood what you want i have understood your desires i have understood your character i have understood your aims i have understood your motives you know few vague descriptions and over the next few days wherever he goes in algiers he's greeted by you know frenzied crowds of passionate loyalists and he addresses them all in the same way now you know when he comes back to france the french government isn't too happy with what they perceive as him being a bit mutinous you know and now what happens is that during this era only the americans have you know widespread availability of the television so most of the world is glued to their radios when de gaulle is about to present his final uh, report his final advice 
his final recommendation on what should happen with Algiers in the case of, you know, the French Empire decolonizing itself to the French Parliament. Now, imagine you're an Algerian, you're a Francophile loyalist, and you're sitting there glued to your radio. You have heard the general, you know, in your own turf, on your own turf, basically saying he has understood you, he has understood your cause, your ideals, etc., etc. Now, wouldn't you feel that at this moment the generals about to create history and sport you? Yep, one of those iconic moments in history. So de Gaulle gets up, and the first uh, question put to him by the select committee at the time is that, you know, they didn't ask him anything else. They just asked him straight away, General, what did you mean by these few vague statements, these sentences you gave? And now, okay, so just imagine the, you know, high blood pressure of the really excited Algerians, you know, the ones who don't support independence. And this is where de Gaulle delivers a crushing blow. He says that when I said, I have understood you, I meant I have understood that you're rebel rousers. When I said that I've understood your aims, I've understood that you want to shed the blood, the unnecessary blood of young French men and women for a lost cause. When I've understood your character, I meant that these people were deceitful and I've understood that as well. Now, imagine you as an Algerian listening to that address that explanation, and just imagine what's going on in your mind, your heart, your brain. It's just like that. A politician promises change. But when he gets into power, he said, I promised change, not positive change. It's a negative change. And interestingly enough, the entire battle of Algerian independence is brought to a close by de Gaulle's few vague statements without firing a single bullet because the Francophile loyalists, the ones who are arguing to uh, disallow Algiers from receiving its uh, independence, they're crushed heart, mind, and soul straight away. Because the very paragon of their uh, rebellion, the man who they actually believed imbibed its spirit, their God almost has turned around and betrayed them. Uh, yep, that's my, that's what they have felt. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yep. Now, <clears throat> imagine, I mean, why do we need to imagine? Here's an example closer to home. See, what de Gaulle said was that I just gave a few vague statements. I didn't mean what I said. I mean, if I'd actually said I understood your character, be, character to be deceitful at the time, I would have been killed and that would have served no purpose. I mean, the same strategy was used by Nehru and that's why it's called an Heruvian strategy. He goes to the Sikhs, he says, spot us, become the buffer zone between us and Pakistan, and you will be allowed to experience a glow of freedom. And our Sikh leaders at the time made the same mistake which the, you know, Algerian loyalists made. They never asked for a definition of the parameters of this glow of freedom. They never did. Never asked the hard questions. I mean, what they should have done is, I mean, and this is the sort of uh, questioning which all, you know, effective leaders do. You know, Stanley McChrystal, he's retired now, the one of the more uh, brilliant generals who commanded the war on terror. Uh, Californian? I believe so, the ranger, the uh, General Stanley McChrystal. Yes, I believe he was actually sacked by the Obama administration. 
Anyhow, this is what McChrystal actually says. He says, when you're a leader, even if you're not a leader, you need to ask yourself a few questions. What is the organization which I'm leading? Why am I leading that organization? What do I want that organization to be? And how do I actually ensure that organization gets that part? You know, and if you look at the, you know, the loyalists and LGs and the Sikh leaders at the time, like Master Tarasang and co, they never asked themselves these questions. Rather, it was all about how do we show off as being, you know, those uh, generational leaders and then that rush for, I guess, triumphant marches and recognition, they just went along and doomed the fate and fortunes of everyone who relied upon them. Man, that, that's a sad part of history, our own history. Yep. And now, if you look at it in today's context now, words have power. That's what both stories tell us, both events from history, the Nehru event and the De Gaulle event. Now, currently, there seems to be this, this battle going on that we need to cancel speech, which we find offensive because it does not, I guess the way I would say it is because it does not sport our own relative set of morals and ethics, our own relative set of good and bad. Now, note I'm saying relative, which really means our own prejudiced and non-impartial view of good and bad rather than something which has a universal grounding. Would you agree with that? The truth is what I say it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I don't agree with you, you are at fault. Now, the way I would describe this is that, you know, we have been going on about post-structuralists and post-modernists and Sikh academia for some time now. If they say there is no good or bad, there is no universal definition of good or bad, and I go and slap one of them in the face, just watch how good and bad, how relativity of good and bad goes out the window and they come back to slap me. And that is a sign of their hypocrisy because that is a universal recognition of the fact that this individual physically assaulted me I need to defend myself by physically assaulting him. Now, in their universe, it might be easy to say that good and bad are pretty relative. You know, it depends on your own context of good and bad. So if in their universe, it's a case of saying that, you know, there is no such thing as, you know, Sikh values or Sikh ethics or, you know, a distinct Sikh identity, because all these are relative. It depends on the individual in the context of their times. Well, hey, in the context of my times, I feel that slapping a post-modernist or a post-structuralist is a very good act. That is the definition of good for me per se. But it isn't the definition of good for them, you know? So you can see how a societal structure is easily broken down and dismantled by these types straight away. And it's all hypocrisy. Because today we are talking about slapping. What's going to stop us from murdering each other tomorrow? I can give you a thousand examples of these things, but yeah, go on. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is related to the cancel culture of today. You know, that we need to cancel everything we find bad. We need to... Now, look, a healthy society will obviously have some form of censorship. Freedom of speech is not freedom to hate. 
but it also needs to be balanced against the fact that we need to hear truths which are bitter to us, right? But because they are the truth, we need to accept them. How exactly would you define hate? Well, I would say hate is the act of depriving another of their life, their security, their sanctity, their rights for an unnecessary and unjustified purpose. Let me put it in, in a different context. How do you differentiate between an insult and a description? Well, that's a pretty good question. That's a pretty damn good question. If I, if I describe something and somebody else finds it offensive, I'm just describing it. They are the ones taking offense. Who's at fault here? They could say, mm. I, I'm being hateful, but I'm just presenting facts. I mean, I have a very good example of this, and this is a relevant example as well. Now, did you hear about what happened in Toronto last month at a high school? Uh, not too much, but I might have a clue. Yep, the Nadia Murad case. Oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Yep. So here's a woman, a young woman, who's a survivor of an ISIS rape camp, and she's actually uh, managed to enter Canada and become a refugee. You know, she's a, now a successful young woman who's fighting for the rights of other women globally who are uh, subject to religious rape, religious torture, religious abuse, religious totalitarianism. And basically what Murad has, uh, well, what's actually happened is that she's been invited to a Canadian school in Toronto, to speak to students about her experiences in an ISIS rape camp. And suddenly, very suddenly, the Voik Brigade, the Cancel Culture Brigade, has descended upon the school, and they've had to cancel this uh, speaking tour because, and here's something which is pretty ludicrous, because they believe that her relaying her experiences, her true lived experiences, will incite Islamophobia. No reaction, no comment. I can't even fathom that somebody could be this this effing stupid. Well, I mean, we have Sikhs as well who are pretty damn effing stupid, as you said, saying that, you know, we are Sikhs, but we can't save your Sikhs because that means that, you know, we're differentiating between ourselves and Muslims, and that's not a good thing. I mean, yeah, that's the Sikh coalition gang. Anyhow, it's pretty disappointing to see how these individuals who built themselves up on the defense of Sikh identity post 9-11 have actually gone down the opposing track. But anyway, the question which the whole Nadia Murad incident, what all this begs the question is that is ISIS Islamic that criticizing ISIS suddenly becomes Islamophobic? <laughs> Man. <laughs> no, is ISIS Islamic? Is water wit? You need to understand these things in the context of, you know, not their times, but, you know, in the context of strategies which are being used. Now, we discussed the Golan Nehru down here as well. You know how they use these fanciful words to build up a picture, uh, you know, a vivid imagination of some, you know, paradise in the minds of their listeners. And ultimately, they betrayed them, well, because these, uh, you know, these pictures which they build up, these dreams which they insinuated had no practical parameters, but, you know, the individuals in Algiers and our Sikh leadership at the time fell for them hook, line, and sinker. Now, similarly, what cancel culture seems to be, it's a, you know, it's an out, 
I, I believe it's an outgrowth of the cultural Marxism and uh, I would say directionlessness, which is afflicting Western society at the moment, but all societies really, because we've become so materialistically, uh, you know, advanced, we seem to have lost that purpose in our lives, right? Uh, I look at it from a different perspective. Uh, there are various, when a, when a civilization decays, there are various steps to it, yeah? Yep. I think it's the stage we have today, maybe it's a varying degree of concentration, it's demoral, demoralization of the society. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but this year, you know, in Britain, they have this uh, TV show on Henry, one of the Henrys who actually married multiple wives. Now, this Eight. is a historic fact. Yep. Oh, well, there you go. My history sucks off that period. There you go. Now, all the women Henry married were white. What do you agree with this? Uh, yeah, of course. And why do you agree with this? Because he was a royal, and royals usually marry other royals, and European royalty is supposed to be European. So basically, we can say you're agreeing with me because history agrees with me. Yeah, based on fact and maybe DNA evidence. Yep. Now, suddenly, the Woke Brigade, the Cancel Culture Brigade, actually threatened to cancel the you know producers of the show, the whole show itself, unless they had a black Anne Boleyn. So, sorry, repeat, repeat yourself, please. They went berserk and threatened to cancel the entire series about Henry VIII, about his wives, unless they had a black Anne Boleyn. Oh, one of the, his wives. Yes. Black. Now I can... Okay, yeah, hold I can, on. Yep. Hold on, hold on. How would a black person see this? I mean... This seems to be the highest form of virtue signaling available to humanity after the death of George Floyd. Now, look, that was a tragedy. We all agree that was a tragedy, but there needs to be, you know, it's not as if the black community, as if the Afro-American community in the States are fighting for a different country. You know, they're fighting, you know, to stay in the United States. And now there's actually a good book on this issue, A Colony in a Nation. And this is actually written by a white author of liberal persuasion. And he reaches a very stunning, you know, conclusion, which I agree with entirely, which is that, you know, the police in the States are always on a hairline trigger alert where, you know, black perpetrators are concerned. So really what needs to happen is that the police and the black community need to work together to significantly alter the outcomes for the victims and the perpetrators of the crime. He doesn't make any excuse that, you know, blacks are not doing this or, you know, they're disproportionately being represented because of race, like, you know, that stupidity of the critical race theory holds. Rather, he's saying that, yes, there are issues. There are issues on both sides. But you got to look at it from a cop's perspective as well. If someone is to rush a cop with a knife and the cop is not able to take out their gun, 12 seconds later, they're dead. Mm -hmm. When it's a gun... It's less than 12 seconds. So you've got a cop down there who's concerned for his life. Then on the other hand, you have a perpetrator who's concerned for his life. Now, another issue down here is that, okay, Sikhs are armed with the kirpan. When the police approach us, they will always be a bit cautious about what they're about to do. Yeah. Right? So similarly, you know, we are 
overrepresented in communities who retain weapons, and that comes with the territory. Now, obviously, there have been institutional failings on the part of, you know, American leaders in rectifying, you know, the, I guess, the state of the Afro-American community. But on the other hand, though, if you know that statistically speaking, the street next to you has had 12 shootings in which 12 black perpetrators have tried shooting the cops. And now suddenly you're confronted with a young black teenager who's got his hands in his pocket. All the while you're telling him, please don't do that. Please don't do that. He's about to take something out. Look, it might be a phone to record what's going on, or it might be, you know, something harmless. You take out a gun and shoot him because you want to go home alive and you want your partner to go home alive. Right? The whole situation is, I think, it's way too complex to discuss properly, but this happens. This We can't deny it. It, it happens. And it happens. And what cancel culture is doing is that it's trying to rewrite history with a utopian tent to somehow make it out that it can solve all these uh, problems in one sweeping generalization. Okay, help me out here. How exactly does cancel culture works? Well, basically, it's, I mean, if you notice the people who actually sport cancel culture, who actually are the cancelers, the frontline cancelers, who we can say, These are the individuals who always have a chip on their shoulder and mostly, okay, look, society doesn't owe anyone anything. Life doesn't owe anyone anything. And if you start from that position, you can see that you can make yourself very successful because you accept pain as a part of life. And it's the same in Gurbani. Gurbani says pain and pleasure, they're a part of life. But if you really, you know, feel that you're entitled to pleasure all your life, obviously when pain comes, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder. Now, the ones who have this massive chip on their shoulder may be due to the fact that, uh, you know, they're queer and they have been mistreated. I mean, there was that individual on Instagram who actually uh, claimed that the gurus were queer because uh, cis, hetero, patriarchic. I mean, these terms always confuse me. Yep. But I I can't even pronounce them. Yep. So, okay, let's just say cis and whatever the hell else it is, we'll ignore it. But apparently the guru is very queer according to this individual because cis men do not have the collective intelligence to lead a community or form a religion. <laughs> Can right. they say the same thing about, about uh, the Middle Eastern people? It, it's just an obnoxious rewriting of history to argue that, you know, somehow we existed in the past and we are right, we are right, you know historical appropriation and we saw the same with the Gadri Babi and Udham Singh when the comrades came along and they misappropriated them for themselves and it's the same it's the same with what's happening today with cancel culture because cancel culture only cancels the facts but anything else which is left behind they will appropriate it for their own gain I personally think that the people who get who are professional victims who get offended at everything, even if you breathe too close to them, they are not actually the problem. There's some uh, some other force behind it that's using them as an excuse. If you are offended, so what? Be offended. Cry in your little corner. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You heard about but the rat utopia? Rat utopia, oh man, one of my favorite topics to discuss. And you know how when the rats became purposeless in that experiment, they just started turning on each other, cancelling each other, and then, you know, literally murdering each other, massacring each other? Yeah, hyper-aggressive. Yep, and that's the stage we have reached. The cancel culture is a manifestation of that. Look, I said before, and I'll say it again, 
every society will always confront limits on censorship. You know, and this is a functioning society. If a society does not confront itself, it's not exactly a functioning society. But people want that quick snap, one minute, you know, solution to everything. And that too, a solution which lasts forever. That's that's not reality, to be honest, you know. And, uh, you know, back in the 30s when the Nazi party was on the rise, there was actually a Nazi organization in the USA called the German Bund. And, yep, yep, B-U-N-D. Now, I apologize in advance for any connotations taken out of context by Punjabi listeners. Especially uh, to Southern Canadians. (laughs) Now, okay, so according to these German socialists in the States at the time, George Washington was a Nazi. Well, the Council of today says he was a Nazi. Yep. Now, what happened is they adopted this position in the 30s because they f- argued that George Washington never released his uh, slaves. So they misappropriated him. And the left, the you know, the, because one thing we will make a big mistake down here if we say that cancel culture is a modern phenomenon, it isn't. It's existed, you know, since earlier times. So now the left the you know american socialists and you know all the liberals the ones who today constitute the cancel culture movement at that time what they did was they actually castigated and lambasted george washington openly and denied him the status of being the father of america you know as being the first president etc they just called him a white slaver and dismissed his sacrifices in history however 30 years down the track Research actually showed that Washington actually wanted to enter a clause into the American Constitution outlawing slavery, giving Negroes full rights. And at the same time, he was overruled by several others. And his diary entry on the matter was that one day the nation will have to confront this problem. But that day isn't today when our republic is still maturing. Well, these things are way too complex for people who, let's say, are on a hair trigger in terms of their emotions. It's it's too difficult for them to understand. They can't even comprehend this. Now, the hypocrisy of cancel culture at the time was this, is that, wait, like, you know, if someone was to confront them that, wait a second, you're saying that the right or, you know, as you're saying that the Nazis misappropriate history, and they'll be like, yes, that the Nazis are playing fake history. And they'll say yes, and that you don't accept the fake history. Definitely we don't. So how is it that you're actually accepting what they're saying verbatim about George Washington? Then that's a thought crime. And you are and, a Nazi now. And that's that's similar that's similar to what we're seeing in Sikhi today as well. There are many Sikhs who are actually arguing that, you know, we need cancel culture to be more stronger, we need to cancel this, we need to cancel that, that, you know, the whole woke spectrum is a, you know the whole woke spectrum is somehow related to Sikhi. I mean, I don't see it that way at all. I see this as being a strain of utopianism, which will cause more damage than it will cause good. Let me say it again. And uh, okay, I haven't said it uh, on the podcast before. In the American political nomenclature, there's a, there's a, a word, Rhino, R-I-N-O, Republican in name only. I'm putting in a new one. 
Sino, S I N O. Second yep. name only. <laughs> I mean, look, the greatest sacrifice you can make for someone is to empower them to stand on their own two feet. So when we say that, you know, every time there's a protest and you are going in with, you know, containers full of langar, yeah, fine, then feed people for three or four days. But why are you breeding a sense of entitlement among them? Uh, are you are you telling me they're not able to feed themselves? Are they inferior to us? I'm not saying that. What I'm actually saying is that at the end of the day, why are we breeding entitlement in the tyrants of tomorrow? Self-hatred. That's what it looks like to me. Because really, self-sacrifice to a certain degree is accepted as being authentic self-sacrifice. But really, when it passes that certain boundary, it becomes nothing more than self-victimization. <clears throat> Sacrifice is a cost you're willing to pay, yeah? Yep. Or you could say self-sacrifice. But is it your goal? Hmm. Interesting point. I mean, if we ask the Guru, what is the greatest sacrifice someone can make? What do you think the Guru will say? That go and give Langar? Well, the Walker Brigade might say that. Sell my house, don't help my brother, don't help my sister, abandon my parents, sell all my property and organize Langar 10,000 miles away from my home. Except on the, in the Guru Granth Sahib on 1145, it said, Nam Hamre that, you know, Nam being the essential wisdom of how to live life, giving someone that wisdom is my divine donation. So really, at the end of the day, it isn't the Langar which is the divine donation. It's actually standing someone how to stand on their own two feet. So look at Guru Gobind Singh Ji back in the past. Fine, then, you know, he helped, you know, he assisted many poor individuals around Anandapur who were tyrannized by the Rajputs and the Muslims. But then at the end, he also told them to get ready to defend themselves to learn how to fight and be ready to die. The same message echoed down in Haryana when Baba Bandha Singh Bhadra went down there. You know, when brigands used to suppress the people, this is what Baba Bandha Singh said to them. Those guys are ready to die for women, for land, for plunder. Why aren't you guys ready to die for your liberty? Why didn't you pick up your weapons and fight? Why? Why do you always look towards the things to help you and the course to help you? Why didn't you do something yourself? Man. And look at how, how effective that message of self-empowerment, you know, was that, you know, this is what the Mughals actually recorded at the time, that peasants armed with sticks and stones destroyed veterans of 17 battles or more in the field of battle under Baba Bandazan. True. Right. Now, cancel culture really at the end of the day is just entitlement. When entitlement is threatened, that's when we see all these things like cancel culture come out of the woodwork. Now, someone might ask that, you know, how is, you know, confronting injustice uh, entitlement? But then at the end of the day, if you think about it, why is it that cancel culture is never able to cancel injustice in the first place entirely? You're expecting them to have a well-researched and well-thought-out answer? 
I guess my expectations are too high. I'll give you another example from the UK, mm. yep. where Lord Singh was not allowed to commemorate Guru Tegh Bahadur because of uh, yes. Islamophobia. Yep, yep. So, okay, hold on. Is it the number of votes? Number of votes? Yeah, votes. The population, of course, either Islamic population, if, if you celebrate something, if, if it happened under my party, my party would lose all the Muslim votes. See, at the end of the day, Lord Singh actually confronted cancel culture head on. And, uh, well, we can say that it savaged him and he actually quit BBC after a while. But the reality is you can't cancel the darkest parts of history. And something... You shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. Because something what the wokes need to understand, what the cancel culture, the Dilsaf Brigade, and all these bunch of clowns who today claim to be Sikhs and are prancing around accusing the gurus of being gender benders and whatnot. The reality down here they need to understand is that justice can only implement itself if there is injustice in the first place. Hmm. Injustice is the yardstick for justice. It's one of the yardsticks for justice, you know, at the end of the day. And if there was no injustice, there would be no Sikhi. But you can't become a self-sacrificing martyr for every act of injustice. I want to live a good life. I don't want to die unnecessarily. No, that's and not right. for people, I mean, that... and certainly not for people who don't ever like me. That that's exactly right. That's one hundred and one percent true. Now, if you think about it, back in the day, we are given the example of Pai Kanaya. But after Pai Kanaya, how many Sikhs do we find in history who actually went and served, you know, the enemy forces? We find none. And this is where I actually have a hard time believing that the story of Pai Kanaya has not been embellished. There is some fact in there which we are lacking, which disallows us from understanding the story, and it allows the other side to exploit it to full our gullible and incredulous Sikhs. I think so too, yeah. I think the story is, is different from what is, it's preached as. Now, have you heard of Ashok Singh Garcha? Uh, unfortunately, I have. His uh, crackpot theory of Indo-Abrahamic Sikhi. It's, it's not a crack, but it's a meth pot. <laughs> yeah, it's something pretty damn high. Anyhow, if you think about it, Garcha misappropriates Shabads from Gurbani. He uses the current English translations, which everyone is saying are wrong, which have been proven to be wrong, to argue his case. And recently uh, on Twitter, one of our team members shared a post of his saying that a Brahmin Sikh is a Brahmin who becomes a Sikh. And then on the other hand, Garcha is usually arguing there is no caste in Sikhi. Now, underneath, he's actually got into argument with one of our uh, long-time listeners and supporters about this. And uh, he's finally uh, said, okay, fine, then we will leave Jerusalem and London aside as being sacred sites for Sikhs. I mean, I don't know why. And then he suddenly goes on to a tangent that, uh, you know, the gurus made pilgrimages to uh, Jagannath Puri and, you know, most of the Indian Hindu belt. And underneath, the team member actually uh, 
referenced Bhakti Ramananda Ji Shabad that, you know, Gurmukhs don't go on pilgrimages. And they questioned him that, you know, how can you say the Gurus went on pilgrimages when this is what Gurbani says about, you know, going on pilgrimages? It's been five days. We are yet to receive a reply from him. Uh, okay, I'm not going to make any joke about him. So I'll say, yeah. yep, as expected. Now, now, he might be honest in his little theory that he actually believes in it and he's trying to, you know, passionately promote it. But however, the fact is that the cancel culture strain is also using these mistranslations of Gurbani similarly, and it doesn't help when our own people are feeding it. Now, if you remember, I won't say the name of the Sikh preacher, but in an argument with a Muslim preacher, he claimed that Guru Nanak advises Muslims to be good Muslims and not become Sikhs. Yep. Pai Mardana made a mistake by becoming a Sikh here. Well, without openly mentioning this preacher, or otherwise the Woke Brigade, because here yeah, they do support him, will get mental. And we're not at that stage yet where we can confront a hundred retards. Anyhow, if you look at the Shabbat that's been quoted, the English translation is way off. Now, in fact, the reality is when Guru Arjan is offered the alternative between Islam and death, Guru Arjan has actually said that if you accept Islam, he's actually told this, if you accept Islam, you have to delete some verses from Gurbani. And the first verse is in Japji Quran. Right? Now, Qadis are Islamic jurisprudent experts, doctors of their law, of the Quran. And what the Shabbat by Guru Nanak is saying is that, you know, the Qadis do not know what time, what minute, what day, what month, what season, effectively what in what period creation was created, otherwise they would have written it in the Quran. Now, think about the Shabbat and its implications pretty deeply. He's basically saying, Guru Nanak is saying that the Quran is not of divine origin. It's written by the Pujari classes. Well, there are some people who would argue that the Quran was written like few decades after all the companions of the Prophet had passed away. But what's I mean, funny is like you see these crackpot Islamic sites, you know, sending Dava to Sikhs and they're always quoting MacLeod and Pashoda, whose researches have been, you know, proven as being false. And then they're really burning and trying to hide the fact that Uthman created a whole new codex of the Quran while burning all the original ones from Muhammad's times. Uh, yeah, those things, yeah. I know about those things, but not in deep detail. Now, the other Shabbats which actually came down are on Ang 141, and these are by Guru Nanak, and I believe by Guru Ramdas as well. Now, here's a very interesting thing. Now, one of the Shabbats, obviously we've discussed it, is the Muslim Shabbat, and what that Shabbat says, what the English translation is made to say, is that it's hard to be a Muslim, to be a Muslim, one needs to submit to the primal deen and accept the path of Prophet Muhammad as being sweet. Now, the problem is that the original Gurmukhi nowhere says Prophet Muhammad. Hmm. So what that verse is saying, what that Shabbat is essentially saying, is that to be a true Muslim, now, you know, Muslim as being someone who believes in the way of submission, 
true submission is believing in hukam and living by that hukam rather than praying for supremacy or miracles. And that undoes how many foundational pillars of Islam? I do not know, but it's our worst which insulted Muslims at the time. Similarly, on Anga 141, we have another Shabbat, which sets the tone for this Shabbat we have finished quoting, discussing. And this Shabbat, the Sikh cancel culture is relying on a mistranslation of the Shabbat to push its agenda. Look, especially when it comes to doing interfaith events in Gurdwaras, I'm against these because really all faiths are praying for the destruction of the other. And at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you have people performing prayers in a Gurdwara and they're asking for the destruction of all infidelity or uh, all other uh, religions which believe in uh, you know written texts and not idols, then aren't you insulting the gurus and their sacrifices for us? If they understood that, they wouldn't do it. Now the Shabbat is Panj Nivaja Vakt Panj Panje Panje Now Pella Sach Halal Doe Teje Kher Kudai Chothi Niti Rasman Pajve Seft Sunai Karni Kalma Ake Kate Musalman Sadai. So really what the Shabbat is saying, the Muslims have five prayers and these have five different times and five different names. Now, here's the interesting part is that this is the first line and this first verse sets the what we can say the comparative parameter. The following verses speak to why this comparative parameter is there and they essentially say, but for Sikhs, this is just a hollow dogmatic practice. In reality, the Sikh namaz, if it can be called that, is a prayer which is lived rather than performed. Lived rather than performed. Lived rather than performed. A truthful life. A life where you ask for the welfare of others. Now, going back to that, you know, Shabbat, which I initially quoted from Ang 1145 of Gurbani. Now, the greatest divine donation acceptable in Vahigru's court is empowering someone to stand on their own two feet rather than feeding them. And why I'm saying this is that the cancel culture strain among Sikhs has convinced many Sikhs that questioning why we're commercializing Langur to the degree that we're being stereotyped as only the feeders of the world is unquestionable. It's a sacred cow. And if they were to question it, they will get canceled straight away. Would you say that those people are, let's say, the products of the Western education system? So they can't really be said that they are Sikhs uh, by their ideology. They're just using Sikhi to further their, further their own agenda. That's a problem you see among all of them. You know, you see it among Sikh traditionalists. You see it among upgrades. You see it among Sikh works. You see it among every one of them that they want the dissolution, the, you know, dissolving of Sikh institutes and Sikh parameters so they can push their own agenda. What they don't understand is what the, you know, these institutes, this identity, the Sikh identity and the Sikh way of life in Gurbani. Now, our mistake is we selectively reference and cherry pick from Gurbani. 
right? A lot of people do, yeah. Now, those listeners who are listening to this who don't agree with us, they will have one Shabad which they will come to fight us with, and that is Avalala Nurupaya Kudrat Kesab Bande. Right? Shabad of Pakt Kabirji. Yep. Now, before this Shabad, on the same Angh Pakt Kabir is saying that, you know, Waheguru, Akal, Purak, Allah, Ishwar, Khudai, Bhagwan, it's all one. The Muslims are delusional because they believe he's in a mosque and the Hindus are delusional when they say that he's in their idols. And then it doesn't make sense for Pakt Kabir to go ahead and then suddenly say, because basically he's establishing inequality in the preceding verse. He's saying that people are not equal at all, that Hindus and Muslims are not equal to him. But then if you move on from if you go forward in the same Shabad, same verse, but Kabir explains that there is nothing wrong with the maker and there is nothing wrong with the material. What is wrong is the final product's mind. And essentially what he's saying is that no one is born inherently good. No one is born inherently bad. Our beliefs inform our actions. And on the basis of this belief, we either succeed or fall in life. And we see a similar attitude, a similar observation by Guru Nanak. So when you come to cancel culture's essential utopian thrust that, you know, total equality in society, you can never get total equality in society. This is something uh, uh, the gurus knew no. as well. Yep. Not equality, equity, equality of outcome. Yes. Yes, I understand what you mean. But the thing is, even the quality of outcome has to be reached, you know, by a certain high bar of expectation. You can't lower the bar for some and have it high for others. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the scholar Pritam Singh on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, of course. The Ambedkarite. Now, you know, according to him, the Sikhs today are very uh, casteist, etc., etc., and he's trying to cancel Sikh history. But the reality is, the day Guru Gobind Singh Ji chose the Panjapiyaris, he didn't say that, Dearam, you're a jat, you're going to have it hard, and Saib Chand, you're from a low caste, it's okay if you don't wear the kakas. No, the bar was the same. The expectation was the same for everyone. And they were given the same opportunities to confirm to it and to pass the stringent tests Guru adopted. We are talking about equality of opportunity and not equality of outcome. Well, equality of outcome is today that's being actively discussed and uh, actively, uh, actively propagated. Yep. Overtly or covertly, both sides. Yep. And essentially what Bhakt Kabirji is saying is he's saying that, hey, wait a second, look at someone's beliefs and then you discriminate, but not discriminate in the pathological sense, but really in the sense, am I going to stay with this person or am I going to run away from this person? But Kabirji also has multiple Shabbats in Gurbani in which he says run away from the Sainik. Isn't the Sainik a human? So where does that leave Avalala Nurubaya Kudrat Ke Sabbande? Isn't a Sainik made by Kudrat? But the reality is that we are not reading what the Shabbat says ahead. We are only reading one line to base our fake arguments on. And what he's saying is that, yes, everyone is, you know, Kudrat Ka Banda. But really, at the end of the day, their beliefs decide 
how far they're from Kudrat or how close to Kudrat they are. Uh, okay, uh, let's explain that with an example. Would you marry a flat earther? No. So aren't they created by the, the same God? <laughs> yep. It's a stupid example, but it's effective. Yep, yep, no, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you. Now, okay, look, without getting into an argument over the validity of the Dasam Granth, whether Guru Gobind Singh Ji wrote Manas Ki Jat Sabeke Pachano or not, if you look at the Shabad, now that Shabad is not a standalone Shabad, Manas Ki Jat Sabeke Pachano, right? There is no Gurmukhi variation of the full stop in the line which comes before it. So really, these are two lines joined together, which, you know, have been conveniently divided by our cancel culture stream. Really what it says is that, you know, there are Hindus, there are Shias, there are, you know, Sunnis and there are Brahmins and there are so many castes, etc. End of the day, all of them recognize Manaski Jat Sabeke Pachano, that all of them recognize that man belongs to one race. Right? Now, you know, for example, you're a Jat. I'm not a Jat. But we are humans. Do you recognize me as being a human in the biological sense? <laughs> I mean, of course, yeah. Yep. And I recognize you as being a bi human in a biological sense, and I recognize you as my brother, and that's the same thing which is being played out here by the guru. Basically, he's saying that all this religion, this spirituality, this ideology, even if we're at war with each other, we are at war with fellow humans. We recognize we're at war with fellow humans. We form relationship with fellow humans. But by no means is that a comment or an imperative on, you know, Manas Kijat Sabeke Pachano that we go and start helping those communities which will betray us in the future. Not betray us, they'll shoot you in the face. Basically, it's not an imperative for self-victimization in the name of self-sacrifice as cancel culture will have us do. Because really, if you argue to the contrary, that same cancel culture will cancel you and your views. And we have experienced that many times. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, okay. You know the the, the guy, Jussie Smoyer? Uh, no, I haven't heard the name. I apologize for that. Oh, it's Jesse Smollett, but that's the way uh, Dave Chappelle pronounced it. Yep. So that guy actually tried to, let's say, create a fake hate crime. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I've, I was reading about that, a fake hate crime. It went on for five years or something, didn't it? No, 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 not for five years, or like two years, maybe even less. Oh, okay, yep. So, okay, and somebody, uh, I read a joke, uh, somebody said, it's the first time an American has tried to scam two Nigerians, and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> so, so the, after this incident, after this yep. incident, when when he claimed that they were wearing MAGA hats and they said that they called him the N word and say it's MAGA MAGA country, yep. and all that shit, yeah. Yep. Every Hollywood celebrity, all those famous people, and all those verified profiles, like yeah, head crimes, head crimes, white supremacy, blah 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 blah. It turns out there were two black dudes from Nigeria. <laughs> See. At the end of the day, what the Mughals, what the Sanatanis, and all of them, what they did to us, the radical mullahs, the Christian missionaries, that was cancel culture in its extreme. 
whenever a utopian movement starts, it starts as being uniting, like fascism and Nazism, and then it has to pitch us in them. It has to form an other to, you know, captivate the masses and grab power. And once it does that, the distance between utopianism and fascism is much narrower, much closer than the distance between your table and the plate on which you're sitting and eating your langar. Langar on table, that's a different topic. Here's the funny thing I've, you know, here's the thing I find funny about cancel culture. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, a long time ago down here when I was younger, cancel culture had a problem with people eating, you know, langar on tables. And then when people stopped doing it, they suddenly had a problem with people eating langar on the floor, saying, well, you can't put langar on the floor on a plate because that's against the mariado of, you know, that's a, that doesn't show any respect for langar itself. So people went back to tables again. No, there was an exception for all people. <clears throat> well, there's always been an exception for, you know, old people and, you know, differently abled people. But this was like a massive argument between the whole, you know, cancel culture woke seek brigade. And I was pretty young at the time. That's why I'm saying cancel culture is nothing new. It's been around forever. Chairs were thrown, heads were torn, people were arrested, people were deported. And all that for them to, you know, go back to tables and chairs a few months later. You know, uh, in Punjab, you would also you would have those uh, anti-drug campaigns and everything, yeah? Yes. And then say, okay, it has been a very productive day. We have conducted seminars. We have given speeches, pamphlets, blah, blah, blah. Let's celebrate. And they crap open a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, though, because, you know, Stanley McChrystal, this is what actually Stanley McChrystal says in his interviews, is that, you know, when the war on terror actually happened, when he was in Iraq, you know, they had all these generals come along and make big damn statements. And this was the state of the U.S. Army after the Vietnam War. Everyone made big statements, came in gleaming uniforms. They did jack shit about making change in the armed forces. And the quality of the forces always remained shit until some people who were more able got involved and started making the changes. I mean, if I go to a band to make a big statement about Gurbani, and you know how the Babaji's do it all the time. Now, obviously, you know, Gurbani, Japo, Gurbani, Paro, et cetera, et cetera, take Amrit. And then, you know, 20 minutes after they've left, all the Amelies are going into the field to have their daughters again. Happens. The emphasis should be on living Gurbani, and that's going to happen very, very slowly. But if you were to say that Gurbani sports woke cancel culture, no, it does not. It's against that type of rubbish. Can you give me a few examples from real life that, oh, no, sorry, not real life, from recent, let's say in the past decade, from hmm. recent times, of this cancel culture attacking Sikhi, or let's say, the established institutions of civilization. Okay, so regarding the Sikhi aspect, we mentioned Baron Inderjeet Singh, didn't we? We did, yeah. Yep. Now, then we had the interfaith and undercarriage issue crop up in the European Sikhs. Number two? Yeah. Number three, after the 80s, any Sikh academic, intellectual, or even the laymen who said Sikhs were not Hindus, they were set upon pretty badly. 
Yep. Right. Number four, Sikhs who took a rapid and a very strong stand against Muslim grooming gangs in the UK. Cancel culture. Try- oh, I mean, bloody hell, Katie Cien is still continuing with her bloody rubbish against Sikhs who are talking about these gangs. Right. Not even outsiders. Our own people are saying the children trained them to be non-groomable. Yeah, sure. And you can bloody hell train your children to be non-diable. Yeah, I can simply identify myself as bulletproof and walk through ISIS territory. Yep. Very possible. Number four. Now we have this current wave, number five, who are saying that Sikhs can't differentiate between themselves and the Taliban because otherwise the white oppressor has won. Carlo Galliar, Palhare Jayye, Right. Number six, the current legion of cancel culture who's actually beginning to target people who are asking why we're commercializing Lanker. Right. Six. Mm-hmm. Number seven, any Sikh, oh, I mean, for goodness sake, <laughs> any Sikh preacher who speaks out against, you know, current established rights which have no historic precedent. They choose you like murder hornets they are. Right. Seven examples. Now, other examples. How many examples do we have? I mean, uh, I'm just trying to get my thoughts together. Right. The calling for the cancellation of the casual vacancy by J.K. Rowling because in it she describes a sequel as being hairy. Remember that? A oh, yeah, yeah, has a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they went berserk yeah. and they even went to the Kaltakt. I mean, the whole diversity crew. <laughs> and I mean, that's the last place you would want to go to because they didn't even know who J.K. Rowling is, probably. <laughs> uh, can you imagine uh, Harry Potter fans in a Kaltakt? <laughs> and then, um, okay, so we go on there. Right. The second one we have down here on the cancel culture example in the last few decades, because I mean, it's been more concurrent in the past few years, I guess, but with the decade, Barack Obama talked about it, saying you don't want to take this too far. Yep, he did. Right, so multiple examples, I mean, coming in, I mean, look at the bloody, look at UK. They wanted to, uh, BBC actually wanted to uh, exhibit a film on grooming gangs, a documentary a few years ago. And look how cancel culture started over that. And then we had the 2001 riots in the UK writing because of a similar documentary. So these are four or five examples. Uh, number six. I mean, like I told you how they threatened to boycott the Henry VIII series. So you have multiple examples from daily life and they're proliferating. People's careers are being destroyed because they're standing up for themselves and they're actually, you know, talking about you know the fact that freedom of speech does not mean freedom to hate but neither does it mean you actually you know use that freedom to suppress someone else's freedom yep i mean in the khalsa state in the perfect khalsa state only the khalsa votes right and you have examples in maharaja ranjit singh's rule that namaz was forbidden in public places you have, you know, from the Khalsa missiles, any Brahmin or high caste Hindu found discriminating with a low caste 
was openly executed straight away. You have similar rules from Baba Banda Singh Bhadra's time. Now, <clears throat> anyone who even looked at a woman in a wrong way was tied to a cannon and blown to bits by Babaji. Yep. Example from history, yep. You know, the very fact you call it cancel culture, it shows that they're trying to cancel things in a sweeping generalization, but that never works out in any society, least of all a Sikh society. And here it is. It's imperative for Sikhs to fight against cancel culture and to oppose it. I found it particularly particularly enjoyable to troll these these people who are participating in cancel culture. I have some extended family in America, yeah? Yep. I was having a conversation with them in Punjab. That was like a few years ago. Yep. And they were saying that, uh, okay, they look very Indian, yeah? Yep. And they were saying that, that they face discrimination, blah, 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 here and there, racism and all this shit. And, and I was like, okay, let's troll them. And I said, yep. well, I never heard a white, a white supremacist complaining about racism. You know, say, what are you talking <laughs> about? I said, you. I'm a, I'm a white supremacist. Yes, you are. I said, how? I said, you chose to immigrate to a white country. You didn't go to Nigeria. You didn't go to Brazil. You didn't go to Vietnam. You went to America. You're speaking the mm. language. You can't speak Punjabi. You are a white supremacist. I was trolling. Yeah, I wasn't being serious. But that yeah. guy, his mind imploded. I mean, the thing down here, what council culture is trying to achieve, it's almost like a cultural purification. No, uh, it's ideological purification. Yep, ideological that, purification. Oh, hold on. Yeah. That's, that's something uh, that uh, I wish to read on, but I don't, uh, I'm not finding sufficient material. And I mean, we know that ideological purification leads to cultural, leads to physical, and leads to a holocaust. We, we, we saw that in Nazi Germany. Uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, uh, no comment, no comment. <laughs> at this stage, at this stage. Yeah, I'm trying to find more material to read on this, but I can't find it. I mean, racism is a part of life, right? Recently, a, 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 yep. a statement, racism is not a one-way street. I have grown up in a Western country and what actually happened a few weeks back, or not a few weeks, a few days, I went to refuel a work vehicle. White guy standing in front and told me, fuck off, raghead, I'm coming down here. Now, I could have stood down there and, you know, beaten him up. But I decided, you know what, I'm just going to move back. Went inside the petrol pump, told the white guy and the white girl standing behind the counter what happened. And they turned off the fuel connection. So this guy was standing there for half an hour thinking he's fueling his van, except there's no fuel running through the hose. Hmm. Now, societies and communities which actually discriminate, which, you know, pathologically discriminate, discriminate without cause on the basis of your, you know, basis of your beliefs, which don't even hurt anyone, those communities, those societies... Read the Taliban, for example, are never confronted by this lot. Rather, all other countries which have led, you know, failing cultures and failing populations within their borders, like you once told me, no good deed goes unpunished. Those are the countries who they will target. Now, 
one of these uh, clowns actually contacted us on Twitter and the team put me forward. And the argument was that you have made a statement in the past that white people do not need to apologize for the past. And I told her that I stand by it. And she said, why? And I told her that one day, will you expect your children to apologize for what happened during Baba Bandazang's time? Mm. I mean, hell, war is dirty. You know, war is dirty. You know, Asenga killed Abdul and Asenga also killed Aramesh Chandar. Those are people who didn't go back home alive to their kids. Should we be apologizing for that? And she had a retort that, you know, <clears throat> you people ignore how long whites enslaved blacks for. And I asked her that, do you know how long Arabs enslaved non-Arabs for? That's rightist. Possibly two more centuries than whites. And if you look at the art from that time, you know, Arabs showing off nude white-skinned girls, white-skinned boys, they're based in a reality, and the slave trade still <clears throat> continues in the Middle East. It hasn't stopped. So okay, why, uh, why two parts are... here? Yep. You can go to Hyderabad city in India today. There's a gold kunda fort over there. Yep. So over there you have the Habshi quarters, the quarters for black slaves. Yep. Where did these slaves come from? I don't think they were white slave traders in, in, in India in the 17 or 1600s. No. Okay, one example. Example number two. Do you know how many, uh, okay, all the way to Iceland, to Ireland and Western Europe, there were regular raids by North African Muslim pirates? Yep, the Barbary Coast pirates. Yeah, men killed women and children enslaved and women sold as sex slaves. Yep. And I believe the and, white and, kings were actually and, a reaction against yeah. this. The white kings rose against this. Uh, I don't know much about that. Okay. So that's just one. And the, this slave trade continued for centuries. Okay. So that's just one example. Then you have the example of Ottoman Empire. Do you know how many Eastern European women were bought and sold? In the millions. Millions, maybe even more. Saudi Arabia outlawed slavery in 1962 under American pressure. But it still continues unofficially down there. Yeah, it does. So they, they take your passport away the moment you enter the airport, the moment you arrive in the country. So that's other problem. If you're not allowing me to leave, I'm technically some kind of slavery. Okay. Is anybody protesting against these, these, these historical facts? Nope. No one's nope. canceling them. Why not? Tell me. This, this is the question I'm asking, and I'm asking this question to you, to the listeners, and everybody who will listen to this in the future. Why isn't that happening? Are you okay with murdering black people as long as non-white people are murdering them? See, with all due respect to my black friends, what these, you know, who you can say Punjabi Sikh works or what these clowns are doing, they can 
only feed you longer, bro. They can't empower you, my brother. They can't empower you. And this is for the listeners. These people will never be able to empower you to stand on your own two feet. They will make you rely on them. And their self-victimization in the name of self-sacrifice is nothing more, nothing less than a power grab. Vaheguru kadi thwadi kiti hoi kite hoi karam nu nahi dekhda. Vaheguru karam de peche neet nu bhi dekhda. You know, Akal Purukh doesn't look at what you're doing. Akal Purukh also looks at your intent behind what you're doing. If you want yep, to uh, see your beliefs in action, if you want to see your beliefs really, see what you're doing, how they inform your actions. How many people are empowering rather than, you know, making entitled? Okay, if, I, if I'm empowering you, isn't that making you my equal? And that's the real self-sacrifice now, isn't it? Making someone your equal. Oh. It's okay. Get up, stand next to me. Stand with me. Stand by me. Yeah. As simple as that. And these people, the wokes, the cancel culture a lot, they don't want you standing, you know, up on your own two feet. Uh, They're scared that somebody, you will eclipse them. No, somebody told me a long time ago that if you take victimhood away from a victim, they are left with nothing. And a I couldn't understand. Victim. Yeah, I couldn't understand the statement at that time. But now I ponder upon it. And I said, that guy was right. The thing is, Toughen up, buttercup. Life, you can't get through life through by using cancel culture. There will be times when well, cancel culture will fail. No, currently there are. It, it, it's, a, it's fashionable to be a victim. People, you know, on the internet, it's all about... Uh, uh, you must have seen that video of Shashi Tharoor in uh, Oxford Union. Oh, jeez, man. Come on, man. Why are you bringing up Dr. Fetuous? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. So everybody just now actively... Let's say shared that video, yeah. Yep. But they were themselves living out of India in those in those very countries that colonized them. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand the whole point. If, if I shared the video because I'm an, an Indian living in India, it makes sense to have historical knowledge of what exactly happened to my ancestors, yeah. But if you're living in the UK and you're sharing the video, but they say, okay, then why did you go to the UK? You know, I mean, for the first thing is Shashi Thur, he inserts a lot of mythology in what he's writing. So I don't even accept him as a, you know, total, uh, speaking totally uh, accurate historian. Second thing is the man beats a hasty retreat with big words when he's caught out. You know, that's the sign of someone who's never actually had a practical long-standing argument ever in their life. And the third fact is that, you know, this is just one of the many forms of cancel culture that, look, you came to our country, you enslaved us, then you built up some institutions, etc. You left. We weren't able to stand on our own two feet. Come on, man. Keep helping us forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So you think about it. I mean, what is stopping India or the third world from developing at the end of the day? It's the people down there themselves. And this is what Guru Nanak realized. That's why he was saying, Hindustan, Kasmakia, Khorasan, Darayaki, you know, what's stopping you people from grabbing your swords and going out there and fighting for your liberty and dying a just death? 
Islam and we are peaceful people, man. We don't believe in violence. Yeah. Sorry, Babaji. The only shastra mm. we carry nowadays is the langar da karcha. The only weapon I have is the knife in the kitchen. <laughs> for chopping up salads and vegetables. Yeah, I do chutka of bananas. <laughs> And that's the reality. The thing is that a topic as big as cancel culture can't be discussed in an hour and 12 minutes. End of the day, these aren't Sikh values. These aren't Sikh virtues. We confront reality head on. We try making things better rather than cancelling them because really cancelling them is just shoving them under the carpet. No, exactly. Uh, it also, it also uh, reflects the lack of depth the, the person has they they have haven't got the capacity to totally discuss it and then say I don't agree with this, but you're not going to delete it. It should stay there as a bad example that this is what we shouldn't do or this is what shouldn't happen. Or even confront reality or have the courage to bend reality to your will. There is a thought that if you fail to learn from your oppressor, or let's say the invader or the enemy, you are always going to lose. Yep, that's right. That's right. So if, if that gives you an opportunity to learn what they did, that they became more powerful than us. Maybe we should copy See, that. Maybe we should learn the, from that. The thing is saying that once cancel culture permeates on a societal level, this is just my closing statement now. Once it permeates on a societal level, it also becomes entrenched at a fundamentally individual level. Now, you know, when Nelson died at Trafalgar, he died in the, in the middle. Yeah. Yep. He died in the middle of the battle, but his Navy still won the battle. Big surprise? No, of course not. Guru Gobind Singh Ji, I will say that we accept Guru Gobind Singh Ji as a Shaheed because his life was cut short. Maharaj died, physical mortal frame expired. But the Khalsa won battle after battle after Maharaj. The Khalsa is still here today. Baba Banda we Singh Ji died. Yep, Baba Banda Singh Ji died. Khalsa is still here. Nawab Kapoor Singh Ji died. The Khalsa missiles were in the ascendant. Why? Because these were leaders who went off three core leadership principles. First is encourage your subordinates to you know, master all the technicalities in their field. Second is give them enough independence to use their initiative. And the third, above all, trust them because they're competent performers. Now, the unsaid rule down here in all three is that if you're giving them enough independence to be competent on their own ground, they will surely stand up and tell you that they think you're doing something wrong. The gurus never did anything wrong, but I'm talking about the Sikhs who came after them and other leaders in history. Hmm. Right. There would have been many periods 
during every Khalsa leader's life after the Gurus, where someone would have stood up and said, no, Jatidar Ji, no, Mahapurk, oh, not Mahapurk Ji, <laughs> where the hell am I going? Baba Ji or Jarnel Ji, that's no, this is wrong. I didn't believe we should be doing this. I think we should be doing this. Or I have a better proposal. I'll build upon your proposal. But in a society full of cancel culture, even at the individual level, the leader does not listen to a valuable subordinate's valuable advice. And this is where that society stagnates. It's a long cycle, yes. It's not a short cycle. It's a long cycle. And it's better to break the cycle before it becomes strong. Sometime before the 1800s, maybe during the 1800s, the assembly line of Sikh leadership just imploded. It did. It did. I'm not going to say somebody cancelled it, but yeah, <laughs> it just it just stopped producing competent leaders. But if they cancel a critical analysis, if they cancel that critical desire to understand what happened down there, then we're making the same mistakes we did back then. Uh, okay, uh, okay. Uh, let's discuss it with some uh, some examples. Recently in the UK and also in America, a lot of statues were pulled down. Yeah. Yes. And who there were people who had historically been linked with slavery or colonialism and all, all that stuff, yeah? Yep. Personally, for me, it will make more sense if I were to read about them, what they did, the method methods they employed, and the people who were, or people or the institution that were associated with them. It makes much more sense for me that way. I think instead of instead of just pulling the statue down and burying their crimes. I think as I as you would have heard from the Baba Bandha Singh Bhadur talk, you know, I did with Dr. Balwan Singh Jitilo. Each and every historic figure is a complex personality with their own contradictions. True. Once again, I repeat, the gurus were perfect. Now, cancel culture also seems to have arisen out of this, out of this, you can say, expectation we have that once you enter history, you are perfect, you have no contradictions. You have to be born perfect, and throughout your entire life, you can't even take a single breath of foul air. Baba Banda Singh Ji married twice. Nawab Kapoor Singh Ji never married. Jassa Singh Aluwalia made his own set of mistakes. Right? And as you progress along, you see every historic figure had something, you know, going for them, which you can read as a mistake or which you can, you know, read as something which has to be denied. But the thing is... Uh, not exactly a mistake, because... People, no, okay, okay, in a different way. People are not all powerful. I cannot set everything straight in a single lifetime. Hmm. I might, I might have thousand problems. I can only solve ten or twenty. Yep, it takes time, and human life is too short for that. 
Mm. So you cannot blame me for not solving the 900 others and choosing to solve these 10 or 20. Yep. And I think when you have an expectation of history being perfect <clears throat> and the dark side of history is, is exposed to you, that's when cancel culture comes into play. So at a grassroots level, we need to change people's mentality about what history is. What the organic past is. Do you think it's natural instinct, cancel culture? Or is it a learned behavior? The way I see it in these last few minutes, let's just try wrapping it up effectively, is that, you know, we have a biological drive within us to retreat from danger or pain. And we seem to be less in physical danger nowadays, but we want to run away from pain. Because mindless hedonism, mindless materialism has become our opiate. And that intoxication disallows us from confronting the realities of life. But then if you don't confront life, if you don't battle with life, then that is not a life well lived. You are just existing, not living. Right. Any thoughts from you on this? Other than the fact that, okay, Amarjeet, we got to try saving ourselves from being cancelled after this? Uh, well, more than capable of saving ourselves. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yep. if, if you don't don't agree with me, nothing. The sky is not going to fall down. It's not going not not going to be any volcanic eruption that will wipe out civilization. That's all right. You don't agree. That's your right. It's okay if you cancel us this time. We will come back as Sikh supremacy. Fair they cook that what Not exactly. Uh, uh, I've seen a cartoon that uh, Adolf Hitler comes back and. Uh, He's exactly the opposite of what he was. Now people can't cancel him because he's a good guy now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I've heard that we have made a big splash on TikTok. So all the fans who are making videos of our content on TikTok, good on you guys. You're spreading us far and wide. And to the listeners, thank you for listening to us. You guys have been a really great encouragement for us. True. Yep. Yep. And you guys keep us going. And at the end of the day, if there's any takeaway, do not trust people who speak vaguely. Digolo Nehru. And cancel culture is not sicky. Stand up to it. Do the right thing in your life. That's all for today. Vaheguruji Kakalsa. Vaheguruji Kakalsa. Vaheguruji Kakalsa.